So one of the things that we've been doing over the past couple of works, weeks, weeks uh, is learning about the bad words of the Bible, sin, iniquity, and transgression, which are these ways in which um, the biblical writers are trying to describe what's gone wrong in God's beautiful, good world. And so this morning, what we'll do, we'll, we'll um, hear another, listen, watch another video on the word iniquity. Um, and then after that, we'll, I think it's after that, uh, actually, we'll hear scripture passage first. And the scripture passage is from this book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is writing in this moment of Israel's life when the whole nation of God's people is scattered all across the world. And they're scattered because, of, because they decided to just run after all the other nations and look like them. So God said, okay, if you want to do that, go ahead. And so they're all scattered and they're wondering what happened. And, and the prophet Isaiah speaks this, this word from God about this servant, this man, uh, and this, this person that will come who will bring restoration to the nation of Israel and gather them all together and lead them back to, to the holy city and make things right again. So that's what this passage is about, but it's interesting for us to hear this as Christians who might find this interesting reflection of Jesus in it. So Tom's going to read that passage for us now. Reading from the book of Isaiah. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. Surely. He has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like streep sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured himself out to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and 
made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes technical difficulties happen, that's okay. So, um, one interesting thing is uh, that, no, interesting thing is, is cool is that we all have email these days, and uh, I know that Jan was able to, to send out this video uh, describing the third and last word that we were gonna, we're gonna get into today. And so if you got the email on Friday about what this scripture passage about and about this, this video, I encourage you to maybe take some time to watch that because it's really informative and helpful for thinking about this really important last word, iniquity, which I imagine you probably haven't used in conversation lately. Um, I certainly haven't. Uh, but of the words, sin, transgression, iniquity, this one stings the most for me because of the way it connects faults with consequences, which can be uh, painful reminders. And so I just wanted to, to break this down for you and show you what I mean. So the Hebrew word uh, for iniquity is avon, uh, which means bent or crooked. But it could also mean consequences or punishment, too. Avon is, is this noun that describes, therefore, this quality or character of something or someone. Uh, it was actually, I think, the first word that my mom used to describe someone bad. Like, <laughs> As my mom said, like, oh, that person's such a crook. Um, or maybe you, you remember Richard Nixon, I am not a crook, right? Uh, which, of course, he was. Um, but when I think of Avon, bent or crooked, punishment or consequences, I think about my football career. Uh, and the reason why I think of this, I played, I played Division Three football uh, for Hope College. And during the last season that I played football there, I tore the tendon in my thumb. Uh, which connected the tip of my thumb to the, the joint here. Just tore one, off one day uh, before practice. And it's a condition called hammer thumb, which means I can't straighten my thumb out. And this doesn't bother me much, except if I'm like trying to be like, hey, good job. And then somebody's like, it's not really a good job, is it? Because I can only give one and a half thumbs. <laughs> so don't ask for my approval with my thumbs. Uh, but there was this one painful crash course moment that I can remember in seminary where this did have some consequence for me. Uh, so the main door to my apartment in seminary, it was, it was not a knob, it, it had a handle on it. And one day I was like furiously rushing to class, I ran toward the door, PB&J in my right hand, and with my left hand I, I reached out. And if I was reaching out with my right hand, you know, it wouldn't be a problem, but I reached out with my left hand, and my left hand, like, the thumb just snuck right underneath the door handle. 
And I went full force into this hardwood door. But don't worry, my face and my head broke my fall into the door. Um, the good news is that the PB&J was salvaged. So there was like, you know, all was well. Because I had a full stomach that day. But it, it, was, it was hurtful. And so a way of saying that something crooked or curved and not straight can have painful consequences. And I lift this up as a, as a picture of the word of own because one of the interesting things, if you, if you watch the video, um, is that avon can describe the painful consequences that happen in a broken world where, where people hurt each other, but can also be a way of describing punishment, the, the self-inflicted punishment that we have for ourselves. And it's actually the most common way in which the Bible talks about God allowing us to sit in the consequences of our actions. And I find this particularly interesting as I, I read this because when I hear the word punishment associated with Scripture, I get really, really nervous and uncomfortable. And I don't know about you, if that's the same thing than you, but something that I learned when growing up is if I do bad, God's going to punish me. That's, that's what I learned at some point. And so the image growing up became this, this powerful figure, mainly this older guy with a white beard, creating horrible events in my life, like making me sick or creating bad days or preventing me from getting into college or things like that. And, and this sort of thinking was widespread in my life, so much that it continued to like, influence thoughts even, even up to a few years ago. And, and then there came this one moment when a friend spoke some grace and truth to me. And actually, it was, it was Terry Miller, uh, Lori Miller's uh, daughter-in-law. I don't know if you all know Terry. But I was in this rough spot, and I was rambling nonsensically, and I floated out this idea to process it out loud and, and see if it was true. You ever done that in processing things? And I, I said, I think God's just getting back at me for some of the things that I did when I was younger. And almost immediately, Terry spoke up. And she didn't allow that idea to fester. And she said, she said this in a very Terry kind of way. She said, dude, look, you've got to stop thinking that because God is not vindictive. Her words melted these unhealthy thoughts I was having. God is not vindictive and out to get us. And it was that time when I remember that God is not out to get us, but God is for us. Meaning God does not have some unreasonable and unhealthy desire for revenge or to just punish us as if God were some unhinged and broken person. And it was helpful for me to hear that, to reveal these thoughts that aren't true about God. And I wonder if you've had them too, and they've worked your way in. And I, I beg you to hear these words from Terry, that, that God is not vindictive but for you and for us. Now, this doesn't mean that, that God's just this teddy bear that lets everything go and never opposes us. 
after all, God in Scripture and throughout the Old Testament and New Testament does exhibit this, this right anger and has had this deep sense of justice for the things that have gotten off track. We see this in the, in the prophets of the Old Testament when the, the religious leaders and Israel's powerful people have absolutely no regard for the poor or the powerless or the lost or the broken. And God's anger is shown and burns against them. We're in the life of Jesus in that moment when he enters this temple and he sees there a similar thing going on where the rulers and religious leaders and rich have turned God's house of prayer into a den of dishonest trade. And Jesus, consumed with anger for the ways in which these people are taking advantage of the poor and the common needs of the people, Jesus drives them out. In Jesus, we meet the fullest picture of God. In Jesus, we see one who took up a cross. And in taking up a cross, took up all the violence of humanity, all the hurts of the world, and all the punishment we could ever know. And he took it upon himself. Isaiah puts it, as Tom read, in this way. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And as Paul writes in the New Testament, we have a proclamation of God's peace in Scripture through the cross so that we might know that God is never violent or vindictive with us, but has made a promise to us of peace. And the promise of Scripture and promise of the cross is that God will not deal violently, but find alternative, nonviolent, peaceful means to right the wrongs that happen in this world. God is not vindictive, but for you and for us. But maybe like a good parent or a good friend, God sometimes allows for us to experience the consequences of our actions. The, it's, it's actually interesting. The first moment when avon, which stands in for consequences or punishment, shows up in the Bible, it's actually in the story of Cain and Abel where Cain uh, takes the life of his brother because he's jealous, and, he's, he's, and after taking the life of his brother, God says, where is your brother? And why is the ground crying out for me? The ground has cursed you, Cain, so that you will have to till the ground, but it will no longer yield its strength. And you will forever be a fugitive and a wanderer on this earth. Cain cried out, My punishment, my avon, is more than I can bear. I am driven from the soil, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And anyone who meets me may kill me. So it's not here God delivering this punishment. It's the consequences of this fallout and this disruption that happens. And actually, God is the one that actually sows some hope into the story when he places a, a blessing upon Cain that nobody shall harm him. Now, most of us perhaps have never experienced this kind of conflict uh, or something this extreme. So I wanted to offer you a story from my childhood that maybe gets at this, this sort of thing and all the words that we've been talking about. When I was in third grade, 
uh, I was about eight, I lived in Troy, Michigan with my family in a subdivision called Braintree, and it was a wonderful subdivision with so many other kids my age, and we'd spend every day, rain or shine, summer or snow, outside. And I remember playing sports all day long, and one time taking a line drive to my chin, actually, it's a funny story, on August 5th, a line drive straight to my chin from my dad, and it just so happened to be his birthday. So that was quite the, the gift that, uh, that he gave himself. <laughs> and I remember seeing high schoolers for the first time, and, and it was that moment in life in the 90s where everybody was wearing these like really huge parachute pants, and I was wondering what was going on. And they were using language like, yo, bro, I'm going to chill over there. Is that cool? It was like a foreign language to me at the time. But what sticks out to me, um, and the reason I bring this up, is because there was one day when I was playing with all my elementary school friends. And we were over at my house in the front yard, and we were getting ready to play a game of football. And, and so it was my turf, right? My football, and I was... I was feeling like the need to act tough and good by myself. And I remember feeling that urge. And I can remember this, this other kid, Michael Milgi. Michael came running over from across the street. He lived down the road. He'd been in, neighbor, in the neighborhood for about a year and perhaps the newest kid on the block. We hung out a couple times and I really liked him. But I can remember this, this horrible thing, horrible thing like yesterday. Michael crossed the street to join our ragtag group of kids, and I don't know what possessed me, but as soon as he entered the ring of kids, I said, who said you could be here? You should probably leave because you weren't invited and nobody wants you. To this day, I can remember feeling like there's part of me saying in myself, where is this coming from? And he didn't say anything, he just turned around and walked home. And I watched him walk away and I can remember part of me feeling really great for being that powerful person that just owned this situation amongst my friends. But at the same time, I felt like I was socked in the gut. We went and played our game, then we went home, and after that we, we got done playing, and I went inside and my mind and I asked, so how did it go today, hon? And I said, good. So I thought Michael was coming over today. What happened to him? I don't know what superpowers God gave you all, you mothers, but you have them. They are real. You know just the questions to ask. And I couldn't, i still looking back, and I can't believe my answer. I'm still sure of myself. I told him to go home. You told him what? And it was at that moment, all the strength and all the ways I puffed myself up just like melted and I deflated like a balloon. And as I look at the story, I can see how it describes all the words that we've been learning about. As we learned about when we were talking about sin, this powerful power of evil that twists and warps our desires, our ambitions, our creativity, and primarily our ability to love and our longing to be loved. Sin warps these things that God created for good and turns them in on, our, on ourselves. At eight, I was searching for the ability to be and appear strong, to get appreciation and above all love. It's just so common to each of us, right? We all struggle for this, regardless if we're eight 
or 18, 28, or 80. And I couldn't see my friend, Michael, and his feelings and the precious mark of the divine that's on him at that moment. All I saw was this opportunity to get love and appreciation and affection from other friends, or at least I thought so. We're created for so much and for so much good, and yet somewhere along the road, sometimes we learn from other brothers and sisters of the human race how to fill the hole in us with things of this world, even if it means blindly wounding others or even wounding ourselves like I did to Michael that day. And when I sent Michael away, I, I, I think the pit in my stomach was the part of myself that was created by God to welcome and to love and care for him. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking about him, and I, I could still feel the sting and wondering about the avon, the consequences, the punishment that it caused him and me and others. I wonder what it was like for him to walk home that day and what sorts of vows he made. Vows like, I'll never let anyone embarrass me like that again or get close enough to hurt me or I'll never want to see Garrett again. And I just wondered about that. It affected me and our, our friendship because it changed that day and we were never as close as we were, which I lament because he was such a good kid and, and one of my closer friends in the neighborhood. And so I missed out on a good relationship. But beyond just him and me, I, I think it perhaps impacted the way in which other kids saw me and wondered if I would do the same thing to them as well. And maybe you think this is just so hard to, to lay on third grade Garrett. <laughs> but I reflect on the depth of this so as to tease out the ripples that one harmful act can take and turn into a, an earthquake of destruction in our lives or for others. And how this can happen when we don't welcome or honor or care for the preciousness of each other. I imagine in some ways that you've been thinking about things in your life that have happened, hurts you've either sent out into the world or received and the consequences of those things, some, some that you could, you could fix and make right, and the things sometimes that you can't fix, the wounds that are too deep and the hurts that are beyond our fixing. And I think sometimes we, we, we turn to God and we want God to fix everything immediately and make everything better, and God, we get mad at God when God doesn't. But if we do that, if we have that impulse, then, we, then maybe we miss how God is actually involved in us and around us. I have a story that, to show you and share with you about how God, I think God is involved. I heard a story one time about a guy walking down the street when he falls in the hole. The walls are steep and he can't get out. A doctor passes by, and the guy shouts up, Hey, you, can you help me out? And the doctor writes a prescription, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. Then a priest comes by. The guy shouts up, Father, I'm in this hole. Can you help me out? The priest writes out a prayer, throws it down in the hole, and moves on. But then a friend walks by. 
hey, Joe, it's me. Can you help, it out, help me out? And the friend jumps down into the hole. And our guy says to Joe, are you stupid? Now we're both down here. And the friend says, maybe you know it. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. Isaiah writes about a friend who comes to jump down into the hole, to bear our iniquities and carry our diseases, be wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and be the one who makes us whole and fills that part of us that we're always searching to fill but never can. Jesus is the one who jumps down the hole with us And God not only clothed himself in flesh, but God and Jesus experienced the very hell we create for ourselves and the wounds which we inflict on each other. And sometimes it may not look like God's moved heaven and earth for us, but if we we have a closer look, we see that he moved from heaven to earth for us, to know that he is the one who jumps down the hole with us in our mistakes, and that he knows the way out of this. And it might not be an easy fix, but he will lead us to something better. Jesus does so by welcoming us, honoring us, and loving us, and showing us something better, who we are to be, and he strengthens us so that we can begin taking steps out of the hole we're in. My mom, after learning about the story, acted quickly, and she said, you have to go down and tell this kid that you are sorry. And it was one of the hardest walks that I ever had to do. I was no longer puffed up with pride, but my head hung low and my shoulders were forward, and I was finding ways to hide my embarrassment, choking back words and hiding tears. And Michael answered the door, and his his mom was standing behind him, and I don't remember what I said or communicating anything except for, I am sorry. And I have to believe that while our friendship was not completely restored, that God was a part of this moment. I'm grateful for my mom who's like Jesus, jumping down in the pit and showing me the tough way out. And I think that God was there with me as I walked to his, Michael's house, and I think I was closer to God in the sorry that I gave and in the tears that I cried than I could ever know. And I wonder what would have happened if I didn't say sorry. And I guess I can't know, but the point is made. And so I pray, may God be with you as you hear this. May you know Jesus is the one who jumps down in the pit to befriend you. And given that an eight-year-old one day became a pastor, may my life, in, in the goodness and still the brokenness that I am, and that you see, be a testament to the fact that Jesus is enough is enough to lead you and to lead all the broken and the hurting people of this world to a future that is good. Let's pray. God, you show us your loving kindness and your care for this world is more powerful and pure than we could ever know. And I pray for those who are hurting this morning. I pray that the words of your grace may be a soothing balm to what ails them. For the ways that we have hurt others like I have in the story of Michael, may you lead each of us to find ways to sow seeds of 
of goodness and hopefulness in words of sorry and actions of restitution. Be with us day by day. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.